We are continuing our, our series on the Gospel of Mark. And the Gospel of Mark is uh, characterized by Jesus in action. Uh, it often says the words, and immediately Jesus did this, and immediately Jesus did that, immediately Jesus went there. Jesus is on the move in the Gospel of Mark. It's also characterized by Jesus as a man of compassion. Uh, it uses the Greek word splagnizomai a lot, which means he was moved within his bowels for compassion. He was moved with compassion. And you'll see that a lot in the Gospel of Mark too. And both of those things come together in our text for today. As Josh mentioned earlier, it is a tricky text. And so in my research and prep for today, I found some great works from Tim Keller, and so I'm using a lot of Tim Keller's words in our talk for today. And the theme is this in Mark chapter 7. How do you approach God? How do you approach God? In our modern approach, it's pretty easy. That God is a spiritual force, and we can access God anytime we want, no questions asked. That's the modern approach. The ancient approach was very different. In the ancient approach, God was a bloodthirsty tyrant, and you had to appease, you had to make sacrifice, you had to earn it. And we'll see in our text for today that Jesus' approach is very much different. It starts with these words in Mark chapter 7, verse 24. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. Jesus is in a region called Tyre. It's about 30 miles northwest of where he did most of his ministry. 30 miles northwest of the Sea of Galilee. In other words, Jesus is trying to get away. He can't. Jesus is exhausted. He needs some time off. Jesus is God in the flesh. He possesses and he has the full authority uh, and dominion of God and at the same time he's fully human as well he gets hungry he gets tired he knows what homelessness is like he knows what uh, suffering is like he knows what torture is like he knows all those things and right now Jesus needs some time off you been there? yeah, that's where Jesus is at it's just, I need a break imagine needing a break so desperately you're willing to walk 30 miles to get some time off that's how desperate Jesus is for some time off. And in the middle of this uh, retreat, this vacation time, this lady comes to him. Not just any woman. She's Gentile. She worships a false god. And she has a demon-possessed daughter. According to the standards of the day, she is the most unclean and unqualified person to approach any rabbi much less Jesus. And she doesn't care. Because there are different levels of boldness, right? There's, there's coward, then there's timid, then there's assertive, then there's aggressive, and then there's parent with sick kid <laughs> level, right? That's where she's at. She's like, uh-uh, not having this. And she begs Jesus, for healing. 
And here's Jesus' response. Jesus said, first, let the children eat all they want, he told her. For it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Okay, not what you expect from Jesus. It's a parable. And Jesus uh, is, is saying to this woman, you know, I was sent here on a mission. And Jesus is really clear about his mission throughout all the Gospels. His mission is first to the children of Israel, first to God's chosen people, and then from there to the rest of the world. Jesus trains 12 apostles, 12 Jewish apostles, to represent the 12 tribes of Israel, and then he sends them out. But at this point, he's really focusing on the people of God, God's chosen people, the Jews. The word dog that he uses here, it's a word for puppy. It's like Jesus is saying, all right, kids eat first, and then the scraps go to the pets. So there's an order here, is what he's saying. And she's having none of it. And she gives this incredible, incredible reply. She says this, Lord, even the dogs on the table to eat the children's crumbs. In other words, she's like, Lord, the puppies eat from the same table too. I'm here for mine. And all I need from you is just the crumbs. It's good enough. It's an incredible response. It's an amazing response. No one in America answers this way. Because in America, we stand on our rights. Like, ah, oh, I'm not second to nobody. I'm just as willing, just as deserving as anyone else. And you're the same way. Because when you're waiting in line to get off the intersection or get out of it, you're in line like to get off the interstate, right? There's a lower line of cars and someone like speeds up and cuts right in front of you and you lose 10 seconds, you are furious. Uh-uh. And this woman, phenomenally, she says this. She's, she acknowledges that she's undeserving. And she asks anyway. She, she prays like Martin Luther. Martin Luther said that, that when you pray, you hold God up against himself. And what he meant was this. He says, when you pray, say, Lord, Lord Jesus, I am undeserving. I, I'm undeserving of your forgiveness. I'm undeserving of your providing. I'm undeserving of your healing. But Lord, I know you. <laughs> you. I know you're a God of grace. I, I know you're a God of mercy. I know you are a generous God. I know you. And I know you love to give good gifts. And so here I am. I'm asking, undeserving, unworthy, and asking boldly, nonetheless. Because God, I know you. The ancient approach. So I don't deserve this, so I'm going to try and convince. The modern approach is, I do deserve it, or at least I deserve it as much as anyone else. The Christian approach is very different. I don't deserve it, but I know you, God. You gave your son for me. 
gave up everything for me. So I'm going to ask. There are two ways to fail to allow Jesus to be your Savior. And the first way to fail is in, in, in your inferior, inferior, it's not working today. Inferior complex, right? I, I, I'm just too bad. Uh, there's no way you can forgive me. I, I'm not worthy. I'm just, just inferior. And we get self-absorbed with our own sin. But the other way is a superiority complex. Uh, I'm, I'm not that bad. I'm just as good as they're bad as everyone else and get himself absorbed in your own self. This Syrophoenician woman walks right in the middle, straight to Jesus. I don't deserve it, Lord, but I know you. The second person in our text is completely different. It says this, Mark chapter 7, verse 29. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. And she's healed from that point on. Then, oh, she went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee, and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears, and then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven, and with a deep sigh, said to him, Ephatha, which means be open. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosed, and he began to speak plainly. And Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. And the people were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. It's the gospel of the Lord. Now, people were bringing to Jesus a man who's deaf and mute. And there's some clues in the text that tell us about this man and this crowd. Now, this man has no faith in Jesus. None. We know this because Jesus hardly ever went into this region. Hardly ever. So this man never saw Jesus. And he couldn't hear about what Jesus was doing because, you know, he's, he's deaf and he can't speak. So he has no faith. The crowd has little faith in Jesus. And we know that because they don't ask Jesus to heal the person. They just ask him, you know, put your hand on him. Say a prayer for him. Be nice. You're a nice rabbi. We've heard good things about you. Just say a prayer and we'll be good. And Jesus loves them both. Jesus loves this woman. He loves this man. He takes the man aside. He does some weird things. Starts putting his fingers in his ears. The text says he spits and then touches the man's tongue. We don't know if he just spits on the ground and touches the man's tongue. Or he spits on his hand and touches his tongue. It's not like Jesus needs to do this, right? Because Jesus can speak a word and the person's going to be healed. We know that already. He does this for this man. He does things a healer person might do. I'm going to do a little examination here. Swap some spit. I don't know what that was about. But he takes this person aside and 
invests in him. He has signage. Fix this, fix this. And then he does something that's pretty weird. He sighs deeply. The text says it's more like he moans. Just not what you expect. He's getting ready to prepare this guy for the best day of his life. And Jesus moans. It's a sound you make when something bad has happened or is going to happen. It's a sound you make when you're in the bedroom and you hear your kids in the kitchen and you hear this kush, 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 kush. Uh, mom and you just because whatever happened is bad and you're going to carry the cost of it. It's that noise. So why does Jesus make that noise? I'm having trouble with the connection, but we're getting there too. It's all right. We know this because of what happens in Isaiah 35. This event and Jesus' healing of people who were deaf and mute and lame had been pre predicted 700 years before by the guy named Isaiah in around 700 BC. And Isaiah wrote this, strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way, and say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness. And the people quote this verse at the end of our text for today in Mark. They're like, hey, this, this guy does everything well. The, the, the lame walk and the mute speak and the deaf can hear. In other words, are the mute speaking? Yes, check. Can the deaf hear? Yes, check. Are the lame walking and leaping for joy? Yes, check. This guy is the Messiah. This guy is the one we've been waiting for since Isaiah, since creation. The one who will come and redeem Israel. The one who will come and redeem the world. This is the one. And he comes with divine retribution. Just weird. Because we don't see Jesus doing a whole lot of smiting. We don't see Jesus enacting a whole lot of justice for the sin of the world against God. We don't see this. And the reason we don't see it is because Jesus did not come to bring divine retribution. Jesus came to bear divine retribution to carry it. Jesus sighs and moans deeply because he knows this is the beginning of the end. We have Mark chapter 8 and Mark chapter 9 marks Jesus' journey towards Jerusalem and the cross and his death for you, for me. And he moans because he knows what's up ahead. He's going to carry it anyway. Jesus suffers, is tortured, is crucified, and if you pardon me, if you pardon my craftsness, 
He's treated like a dog. Take that back. We treat our dogs really well in Colorado. He's treated less than a dog. So that you and I can be daughters and sons of God and have a place at the table. Some God, he lowers himself. He lowers himself more than anyone else has ever lowered themselves so that you and I can pray to the Lord Jesus. I don't deserve your grace. I don't deserve your, your death for me, my place. I don't deserve any of it, Lord, but, but you did it. So I know you. I know you've claimed me in baptism. I know you've worked in my heart so that I might call you my Savior, my Lord. I know you, you give me a place at your table, Lord Jesus. I, your body, your blood, your forgiveness, that taste of your presence for me, Lord God. I know you. I know how much you love me. Friends, don't be too isolated to think you're beyond healing. <coughs> don't be too proud to accept what the gospel says about your unworthiness. And don't be too despondent to accept what the gospel says about how much you are loved by Jesus.